Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show that we review podcast for filmstage.com as always i am your host brian j rowan with me today we have robin barr slurp Slurp. we also have bill graham yeah knock knock bitches (laughs) good god uh and with us today to help us talk about the newest film from co-writer, director M. Night Shyamalan, Knock at the Cabin, it's Corey Everett. Hey, thanks for having me back. Thank you for coming. Uh, I was about to say listeners at home will not recall Corey from a previous episode because it's the only one that we were ever not able to uh, actually release. We had technical difficulties that um, could not be resolved. And I say this as... Uh, earlier before we started pre-rolling, I mentioned that it was that episode and I think Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout, were like me realizing I needed a new computer. And I had to completely reconstruct Fallout listening to three second clips and reordering them. So if I made that one work, I can only imagine how poorly the John Woo film that we didn't talk about ended up being recorded. But so it's great to have you back, Corey. Yes, it's nice to be here after after being unofficially bumped twice. The the John Woo Netflix movie, and then months ago, I had reached out to Jordan Raup and said, "Put me down for Babylon." He said, "All right, it's yours." And then it got bumped, and it got bumped, and he said, "We're canceling the Babylon episode." And I said, "Great." And he said, "How about Knock at the Cabin?" And here I am today. Let's get it done. Yeah, um, it's it's not a good sign for Babylon that when you said that, I was like, how how long ago was that? When was that? What movie was that? <laughs> I um I never ended up seeing it, and I feel like that's uh, puts me in line with uh, most of the country. <laughs> Way back in the year twenty twenty two, I know I um, you know it's a meme when even your priest at church says it when people are like, "Wow, January sure was a long year." It's just like, good lord, guys. But yes, it's slightly true. January was an incredibly long amount of time, and now we're out of it, and we're in February. And what does that mean? It's time for some M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, Before we get into it, however, Corey, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience a little bit? Um, Sure. Um, I'm Corey Everett. Um, (laughs) I like movies, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, I first met uh, the film stage guys, uh, Dan Mecca, Jordan Raup, many, many years ago at Movie Trivia, at Videology, and they've been kind enough to include me in things from time to time uh, ever since, uh, including letting me guest on this podcast. Um, in my other time, uh, I started a small company called Cinephile. We made a card game. Um, we have done a lot of events with the film stage um, uh, called Cinephile Game Night. Um, we did a whole kind of basically during lockdown, we did about two years worth of live stream recordings, um, yeah. which were a lot of fun. Uh, and brought different corners of the film community together. And then we're actually doing one uh, at the end of this month um, at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. Um, and Connor O'Donnell and Jordan and myself will all be there. Um, and that should be a lot of fun. So I hope if you're in New York and you're listening, um, please come out for that. 
Yeah, I uh, I was lucky enough to be a part of it. At least one of those cinephile game nights. I remember with great Me shame too. that I failed to. Uh, I was like the first person eliminated when all we had to do was name Brad Pitt movies. Amazing. I like it was. I, it's one of those things where like when my mother's like, "Oh, that one movie with Brad Pitt," and I just like will start rattling them off, and I can go like twenty deep, and finally she'll be like, "Oh, it wasn't Brad Pitt. It was Tom Cruise." Right, but the second you say like this is a game, there are points, even if like it doesn't really matter. I'm just like, uh, uh, oh shit, uh, you know, it was that David Fincher one, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Damn it! Yeah, I, I got. You're not alone on that. I mean, the the spotlight burns pretty bright when you're on it, especially when we do these live events. You know, people get up on stage and they, you know, they have everything in their head, and as soon as they're kind of on the spot, like it's pretty easy to go blank. So it does. You know, like an athlete, it takes some stamina to kind of push past that. Um, but mostly it's just a lot of fun. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's going to be uh, Thursday, February 23rd. Um, and there is a link to RSVP up on the film stage now. Um, so you should come out for that if you're there. Um, also, that weekend that I'm going to be in New York, um, we're doing a screening of uh, Deep Red, the Dario Argento film at nice. Museum of the Moving Image, uh, which I'm going to be introducing um, kind of, uh, in part, uh, because I just, uh, wrote a children's book called my first, uh, Jallo horror. Yes. Um, I wanted part of to a new... talk to you about this. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so it, it is supposed to be funny, but it's also a, like a genuine loving tribute to this genre of films. Um, and so, yeah, it's part of a new, a, a new series, um, that we've been working on, uh, at Cinephile, uh, for for quite some time and is just now finally coming out. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, because I, I was looking through it because obviously I love all the cinephile stuff and I saw the My First Movie collection and it was uh, film noir, giallo horror, and French New Wave. And as the father yes. of a six-year-old, I was like, oh shit, I think I'm going to have to get this. Oh, great, yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah. then you've got the A is for Auteur of course. The yep. Alphabet yep. Book. So alphabet book of directors. That was our first little cinephile book. Um, and that one was with, um, Steve Isaacs, who's the illustrator for cinephile game. And he did an amazing job doing these kind of, you know, portraits of different filmmakers, H is for Hitchcock. And it's a portrait of him with all different references to his movies, kind of as a mosaic in the background. Um, and then for these new books, um, my first movie, um, I'm working with a new illustrator, uh, Julie Olivi, who's an incredibly talented, um, French illustrator. And so we kind of worked together for about a year remotely on this crazy idea I had, which was basically trying to translate these very not kid friendly, you know, <laughs> genres and eras of films in, into kids books and basically trying to retain the flavor and be true to them, but not make it so over the line that, you know, it would completely scar your children. Like it is supposed to be tongue in cheek. And yet genuinely, like, let's say you're a grown up who doesn't have small kids and you love, you know, French New Wave, like you'll be able to spot, you know, over a dozen, you know, references to, you know, movies, actors, movie stars, all that. It's fun. It rhymes. It's colorful. Um, and yeah, and I and I just, you know, spent way too much time after initially having the, oh, this would be a funny idea to bring them to life. And now <laughs> now they're here and uh, and you can buy them. So the, I don't know if you've ever heard like. I don't. I I totally fucked up this segue. So there was a a group of books that I remember reading about that were like a children's introduction to H.P. Lovecraft. 
Yeah, no, I have those. Yeah, they're great. So they're like, great. what was it like Clifford the Big Red God, I think was one of them and like where the deep ones are. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a couple <laughs> different there's a couple different creatives that are doing that. One is like C is for Cthulhu and there's a kind of series with that with plush toys and yeah. kind of when my when my first son was born, you know, I was looking around for, you know, basically cool stuff that I could get for him, you know, and there's, there's seemingly kids books on, you know, everything on HP Lovecraft, on hip hop, on sneakers, on everything, but there really wasn't a ton of like film nerd stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that was the inspiration behind doing little cinephile and making A's for a tour. And these new books was like, you know, uh, that kind of no one else was really doing it. And so I basically just decided that, that, cinephile would do it um but yeah i love those i love those books they're great there's there's one that um it's kind of written like a dr seuss book and the illustrations are like a dead on like um rendering in the dr seuss style i think that one's called the call of cthulhu and the rhymes are really great and they nail the um the rhythm of his writing um so yeah there's there's all kinds of fun stuff uh out there for sure yeah, so like Kenneth Height has a bunch of them. There's the Antarctic Express. There's <laughs> where the deep ones are. There is Clifford, which is spell weird, the big red god. Okay, so I have to ask, obviously, I have my specific auteur that I love. Is M for Malik? M is for Malik. And I gotta say, I mean, that's the that's the pure film stage influence there because <laughs> he's not one be. of my guys. I, I love Badlands. I like a few others. That is really the the Jordan Raup and the film stage, you know, standing that I thought I gotta get this in here for 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 him. Yeah, 100%, um, so like, yeah, he 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 did make the M, but there there's some some, there stiff, some stiff competition. competition. Yeah, because you had yeah. could have had man, you could have had Meliers. I mean, like there's a lot. Yeah. But I'm uh, absolutely we we kind of snuck in. Uh, we did Elaine May, but we did it as Nichols and May like ampersand uh, under N. So we could kind of get them both in there. And because they were a comedy team and they, you know, worked together so much and wrote scripts together and all that. So um, so we, we were able to sneak in a second M. But uh, yeah, it was it was tough. Excellent. All right. Well, that's awesome. So go to cinephilegame.com to uh to learn more about that uh you can shop for stuff at cinephilegame.com slash shop and that's uh yeah so it's great that you're here i'm very glad that we have you here to talk about knock of the cabin since uh we collectively chose to forget that babylon ever happened and uh before we get into all that the usual stuff up top you can find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show email us podcast filmstage.com and, of course, go on iTunes or whatever podcast uh, catcher you choose and give us a comment and rating. You could also become a patron by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. Uh, $1 an episode and you get access to our Slack channel where people are talking about all kinds of craziness. I literally, I, I had to stop today. I couldn't pay attention to what was going on. There was too many conversations happening and I kept wanting to get sucked in, but I decided not to. So if you were looking for a bunch of nerds to talk to about all kinds of stuff from books to movies to video games to, I don't know, memes and cryptids, uh, go to patreon.com slash the film stage show. And don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover over at Mubi. And I wanted to highlight... That uh, one of their most recent films that they threw up there was Before Midnight, 
And I kind of want to talk about this because I, I someone tweeted the other day that like this is the I think the last year where like we could get a before film that would be like within the ten year kind of cycle of these things, and it doesn't look like it's happening. Nine so. year cycle. Oh, it was nine, a nine year, year cycle. cycle. So that's even more yeah. depressing because that means that it yeah. was last year and it's over. <sighs> so God only knows when we're going to get the Jesse, and if we're, it, I guess we're not. I guess we're just never going to get more Jesse and Celine. But anyway, if you would like to see their final outing together, possibly in cinemas, it's Before Midnight from 2013. Witnessing the evolution of Jesse and Celine's relationship over two decades ranks among the most sublime cinematic experiences. This final installment of Richard Linkletter's landmark Before trilogy is an epic triumph of storytelling, a sun-kissed reunion at the intersection of love, time, and film. So if you would like to see that, along with every other fantastic movie that they have up over at Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial subscription to Mubi. I think I'm okay never seeing them again. Are you? (laughs) Really? You didn't like them? Man, you have like a black and shriveled heart. I do, I do. I also have a fucking broken jaw, so. (laughs) Well, yes. Uh, Should we talk about that? Should we like just let everyone know that Robin uh, is recovering from a a a doctor prescribed jaw breaking? Yes, yes. It was all (laughs) was all my choice. Uh, I sound a little bit strange uh, this episode. I appreciate everyone's you know, patience with me uh, as I become more intelligible over the next few weeks. Um, I had or have, I don't know how to describe it, uh, congenital facial deformity. It was fairly invisible that it caused medical issues. Um, So I had a surgery in which they broke both my jaws. And now I'm in the process of recovering now that they've been realigned um, and I can breathe much better, and my uh, my teeth are going to have less pressure on them. Um, so I know I sound a little strange. I'm getting there. Um, if if there are any complaints about my speech, I will take them into consideration. You can you can reach out on Twitter <laughs> and specifically tell Robin that her medically necessary jaw breaking is ruining the episode <laughs> for you. Sorry, guys. I'll try to be as quiet as possible. <laughs> yeah, yes. In fact, up until today, we weren't even sure that Robin was going to be able to join us. Robin, I'm so glad that you're here. I am, too. I am, too. And I sound much better than I had the last two weeks. Uh, I saw my surgeon today, and he was like, oh, you you know, just so you know, you speak like somebody who's had their face pumped with a, with a bunch of Botox, um, which is why you're, you know, sounding so stiff. So I I haven't, I'm not a Russian housewife named Yulia, but I am doing my best. All right. But yes, so that explains uh, whatever difference you may hear in Robin's voice and also why she is suspiciously quiet thus far this episode. Fuck you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that's that. That's all the, the front. Bill, I don't know. Did you have anything you want to talk about? 
Uh, lasagna. No, 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 no. Fuck no. We're not talking anymore oh. about lasagna. Uh, I, I will say, you know, you, you mentioning uh, the cinephile game and y'all y'all talking about that, uh, it, it made me laugh because you were talking about how, like, you got on the spot and you were like, oh, fuck, I can't think of, of like, these names that usually I can recall. Well, I'm the opposite. So uh, <laughs> I would get up there and be like, well, I'm fucked because I can never remember anything when I need to. So, yeah, um, that that is not a game for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I like earlier that day, I think I had had like a massive conversation with both Jordan and Dan about how much I loved Ad Astra. And then we're like sitting there and it's like Brad Pitt movies. And I'm like, oh, shit, I've already said True Romance and Thelma and Louise. I can't think of any other Brad Pitt movies. Jesus Christ. I know I was the worst. And then like it's over and someone's like, Brian how did you not think of Ad Astra? And I was like, because everyone knows that's a Tommy Lee Jones movie. I don't know. I had no, I, had no <laughs> um, I will say, you know, I, I did do this and, you know, normally I have, I'm, I have a trivia brain. Like when I was in high school, you know, I was on the trivia team. I've been on TV for it. Uh, you know, high school, whatever, you know, com- competitions, I tried out for Jeopardy when I was 13. Like, I've always been really good at recall up until I hit, like, 24. And suddenly, it's like my synapses are going so much slower. So even though I know exactly I know exactly who I'm thinking of, I can picture them, but the word is just, like, not coming to me or the name is not coming to you. I, I used to be so great at cinephile games to the point where like I'd be bored in class and I would just play it by myself, you know, in my own head or like writing down things, you know, doing like these chain games of like Nicole Kidman was in Malice with Alec Baldwin, you know, all that kind of shit when I was supposed to be doing like my, my math notes, you know, <laughs> Now I suck at it. I totally suck at it. Uh, but I still know what I'm talking about. I just can't think of the word. Oh, my God. All right. Talking about uh, I'm going to say this one thing and then we're actually going to talk about the movie. I swear to God. People oh, OK, just I, I want to make sure I get all these quotes up on the website. Not a game for me. Bill Graham, the film stage. I totally suck at it. Robin Barr, the film stage. Show. <laughs> I just, I, let me see if you've got one, Brian. I, we've got a quotes page. I, I want to get them all up. If there. I was 16, I would have been ringing great. endorsements. <laughs> I can't. No, it's a great game. I'm just dead. Well, that's the, a so great like, game for children. 100%. Great game for 16 year old nerds. Right. Uh, my daughter and I went to Target today, and we bought a bunch of uh, Miyazaki movies because apparently, like Studio Ghibli has started re-releasing stuff on Blu-ray. So that was like four oh bucks nice. I didn't intend to spend when I went there just to get some like a kid's birthday present and a thing of compressed air. Um, no. So Robin Barr talking about like instead of taking notes or whatever, like in class, I used to do this thing when I was in a work meeting that had nothing to do with me, where to keep it from, to keep me from actively looking like I wanted to commit suicide, I would take out a piece of paper as though I were taking notes and I would just longhand, you know, with a pen, write out every single poem that I knew by heart because it was like, oh, it's like reading it and writing it and it's like testing my memory. So, like, one time someone was like, hey, uh, I saw you taking a bunch of notes. Would you mind, like, forwarding those to me? 
And I was like, I had to come clean with this person. Like, no, this is the Raven, the Lake Isle of Innisfree, and stopping by woods on a snowy evening. This is not real. I didn't know. Okay, this is getting sadder and sadder. And it started with poems I know by heart. I, why, you don't know any poems by heart, Robin? The Jabberwocky, and that's it. Oh, we'll see. That's, you know. Because yeah. I was forced to, you know, re- rehearse it and recite it when I was in eighth grade, and that imprinted on my brain. But, like, it's not like I just, you know, wanted to memorize a poem. I hate poetry, so that's I used to it. know all of Punishment by Seamus Heaney. Um, but there's not a lot of situations where you need to stand up and recite from memory a poem about a bog woman who was killed for adultery. Um, anyway, let's um, let's move on. Let's let's talk about the movie that we are sensibly here to talk about, and that is Knock at the Cabin. This is an adaptation of the novel uh, Cabin at the End of the World, and this is uh, directed and co-written. By M. Night Shyamalan, who we last met talking about old. Uh, what was that, two years ago? Like, almost literally exactly two years ago? One and a half. Oh, really? I thought he was like a first quarter of the year kind of thing. It came out in the summer. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It takes place on a beach. A beach that makes you old. But anyway, we're here to talk about Knock at the Cabin. This movie stars... Dave Bautista and Jonathan Groff, amongst many others, and is out in theaters now. And uh, here is part of the trailer. Hi there. Can I talk to you for a little bit? You have to come inside right now. There were four of them. What do we say? You shouldn't make things up when we're talking about... Can you open the door, please? All right, so this movie is about a uh, couple with their young daughter in the woods who are accosted by four strangers who present them with an impossible choice for an insane-sounding reason, and we are here to talk about it. Um, I'm just going to say it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie, so like some of you should know how this is going to go. Spoilers will abound at some point. I don't know what people will consider to be a spoiler. Robin seems to think that the marketing has a bunch of spoilers. I don't know. I didn't really watch it. So we're going to do what we usually do in a situation like this where the spoilers are ambiguous. Before we even do our spoiler-free quote-unquote section, we are going to give our simple kind of one-word answer to the question, should people go and see this movie? Corey Everett, one word, should people go and see this movie? Yes. All right. Robin Barr. Sure. Bill Graham. Yes, you should answer the door. That was not the question. And I also think that that is bad advice for people. Um, <laughs> but I, I also say, yes, people should go out and see this movie. So that's that. If all you were here for was to get that information, you now have it. We will now begin our spoiler-free nutshell all-around thoughts on Knock at the Cabin. Corey Everett, what are your general basic uh, high-level thoughts on this movie? Um, Well, I was going to ask you guys a question. It's Uh hard to talk about this movie without talking about M. Night and basically how you feel about him as a filmmaker or maybe how you felt about him throughout the various eras of his career. And so, you know, where where are you guys at with 
M, M. Night these days. Were you ever so, a big fan? Did you hate him at some point? Are you, you know, are you in the tank? What? So I, how are you I, guys on him? I loved M. Night. I would say, obviously, Sixth Sense to Signs to I even liked The Village. I thought that The Village was like a little bit dumb at the end, but like still like a very effective movie. I think Lady in the Water. I like kind of said like, oh, shit, I think people are right about this guy. And then I didn't watch The Happening. And I didn't watch Avatar. No, I didn't watch The Last Airbender. And then when he came back with The Visit, I was like, oh, this could be interesting. And I saw it and I really liked it. And then I saw Split, which I loved. And then I saw Glass, which I also fucking loved. And then uh, Old, I thought, was very good as well. So, like, I'm back, baby. Like, I am all in on new, like, you know, low to mid-budge M. Night. I'm here for it. Robin Barr, what about yourself? I'm mixed on him as a director, you know, whether he delivers or not. However, every film that he does is enough of an event that I look forward to it. Whether I'm going to like it or not is almost immaterial because I know that it's still going to be likely a movie that is not going to be boring. Um, it will have some interesting ideas, interesting, you know, execution. Whether it hits the landing is always the question for me. Mm-hmm. So I would say that he's a he's a draw, but I don't usually have high expectations for what the final form of the movie is going to be. I'm just there for the experience. All right. Bill Graham. Hmm. Um, (laughs) I absolutely love the village and I, I still have qualms of people that are like, that movie sucks. And I'm just like, uh, did you watch it? Because I watched it and that movie rocks. So, I, so do you, I don't know if I don't know if you saw my tweet about the village bill. I think it was like when old was coming out or something. And I was like, I'm going to rewatch the village. Like, let me just see what this like. I can't remember. And it was like my tweet was something along the lines of like 90 percent of the village. Like, what were people talking about? This movie's fucking great. And then it was like Bryce Dallas Howard says, I have the magic rocks. And I was like, oh, right. But like, eh. Like, yeah, it's it is that uh, like it was one of those things where I'm like, yes, I could understand why people would jump off from here. I'm still on board, so like, yeah, yeah. still still very much on board. I actually wa- rewatched Signs for the first time probably since theaters uh, today. Um, I was listening to a podcast and they were kind of going through kind of the top five and then doing like a double double feature based on those five, um, which also got me a lot of recommendations out of that. So um, but yeah, I watched Signs literally just a a few hours ago um, and that movie also rocks. Um, Yeah, I really like M. Night. Um, I did not see The Happening. Um, that's when I kind of jumped off board. Um, and so, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't think I've seen a lot of his mid mid films. So I haven't seen Avatar. I haven't seen, uh, the visit, which apparently is the one where people are like, oh shit, he's back. Um, so, uh, and I really enjoyed old parts of it i think i think i had some qualms with with little bits here and there um but overall i i was i was impressed with it um i think visually he is just 
like so unique and so good. Even if you don't like his films, his narrative, I think there's so much to pull from his, his, uh, abilities as a filmmaker. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about him overall. Okay, great. Well, I, I thought we'd be all over the map on this because I know there's like people who really don't like him and there's people who, you know, even defend the kind of lesser known or the misfires in there. But I, I thought I kind of had the most vanilla right down the middle take, which <laughs> is uh, which is basically the same as kind of everybody is is I I really liked Sixth Sense, um, Unbreakable and Signs. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot about Unbreakable. I liked Unbreakable. Yeah, The Village uh, I was mixed on. Lady in the Water, I got off the train. I did not see the next three. The Happening, Last Airbender, After Earth. Got back on board oh, at the visit me. and have been totally enjoying forgot. the ride. I totally yeah. forgot After Earth. After Earth. Everybody forgot. Um, wow. So, yeah, well, I, I saw you, that. <laughs> I, I saw it. I saw it in theaters. I did like three podcasts on that movie because people needed to find people who saw that movie. And I just I, completely I, forgot that was M. Night Shyamalan because like it doesn't feel like him. It doesn't. Yeah, really. that's. That's part of I, I look at his career in kind of four phases. It's everything before the sixth sense, the kind of he has not really become M. Night yet. Right. Uh, which I also have not seen like most people, you know, and then the sixth sense, which most people thought, oh, this is his first movie. Yeah, so you go sixth sense through Lady in the Water is like his imperial period, you know, for whatever, <laughs> you know, successes or failures creatively the last couple might have had. It was the. He's one of the biggest directors making big, huge swings and event movies and Lady in the Water is the end of that where the wheels kind of fell off. And then the next three movies I look at is the like, is this what you want from me, M. Night? The happening is like, how about a hard R-rated movie? Is this what you want? Last Airbender, how about this adaptation? After Earth, how about a big sci-fi movie with Will Smith at the center? And then with the visit, it it's like something clicked inside of him where he just realized like, oh, no, I want to be like a real scrappy, lurid, low budget, like the modern day equivalent of like somebody making movies for Roger Corman. And like, mm -hmm. I totally I liked the visit and then split just totally clicked for me. And I thought this has exactly the right um exactly the right tone i just i just kind of thought of that um comparison mm -hmm. and just thought this movie doesn't have the pretension and the importance and the grandness of some of his earlier movies which certainly turned me and some people off when they when they didn't work as well um and so i think split took some risks and and certainly you know so did the visit and so did most of the movies that he's been making so you know for for however much i thought they worked or didn't work creatively um, you can sense the kind of creative freedom and yet working at this smaller scale um, seems to be working. Uh, like most people seem to be enjoying this run. And certainly that's where I'm I'm kind of back on board, e even as Robin says, you know, I, I may not think all the movies work and yet I'm going to show up every time. And um, and for me, the first teaser trailer of this, just the setup of this family tied up in the cabin and these four <laughs> strangers show up, I was like, Oh, February, M Night, that's the setup. I am definitely in for that. Yeah, like 100% <laughs> there. 
Yeah, I, I I remember distinctly being in a theater and a trailer was shown and people were kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the name M. Night Shyamalan, you know, directed by M. Night, and then people like laughed. Okay, and I remember wait. I remember uh, being at a what? Oh, well, it, was that the trailer for Devil? I might have been around that time because that's what I remember is being in a theater and it you know it's like oh this just looks like a stupid horror movie you know but mm-hmm. it could still be good and people are like oh, okay yeah like yeah right these people are in an elevator and they, it's like you know someone in this elevator isn't who they say they are and then it was like from the like mind of M. Night Shyamalan because he mm-hmm. didn't direct it he was just like produced it or something yeah. and people saw that yeah. and laughed and then when the name devil came up they laughed even harder and it was just like oh this guy's fucking name is poison <laughs> Yeah, and I remember just being so shocked by that. Like I I again, I had checked out on his last few movies, but I was still like, but this guy like like he made such a run for there like during that period that I was just like, oh no, I'm I'm always going to like like willingly give him a chance if I'm on board with like a, a simple trailer. Like I was out on the trailer of the happening. Like as soon as I saw that trailer, I was just like, nah. And then I heard all the reviews and I was like, yeah, I can skip this, right? Um but now I'm I'm much more willing to just be like I don't give a shit like I'm I'm gonna give this guy's movies a shot like at this point I'm I'm just kind of you know and I'll try and see it opening night so you know the reviews won't quite hit me as hard but yeah I I just yeah I just remember sitting in a theater and just hearing people laugh at the name you know the the pop-up and i was just like holy shit this is what a downfall I don't know that that's ever ha- like i don't even know that that's like there's another director who's gotten that like you know because usually if you don't like someone a they're not pumping their name into the trailers and b they don't have that level of name recognition mm-hmm. like he was like uh, like in terms of directors like i know like cinephiles hate brett ratner fine but like you know, I just I don't remember. Yeah, like, th- that's 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 more died. like personal, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, vendetta kind of shit. But this is but people yeah. being like, oh, God, M. Night Shyamalan. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to chew on 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 everything around this film. The film itself, I think there's it's it's not as ambiguous as I kind of want it to be. And that's what seems to be kind of roundly like a lot of like people's talking points. Because oh, um, I actually like the lack of ambiguity. I feel. See, and, you know, this, and some people. Yeah, some yeah, people in, are going to are going to uh, talk about it more. Yeah. But like I have gotten a little bit fucking tired of ambiguity in films. <laughs> I am really I'm happy when an artist comes up and is like, this is it. This is what I yeah. mean. And I'm just like, OK, cool. Yes. All right. I'm glad for you. Can I can I recommend the film Babylon to you? It came out last year, didn't make much of a splash, a little underrated, uh, but uh, it it might uh, fulfill that need. You're just gonna like turn this into a Babylon podcast. I do it. No, I intend, it just came up organically. What can I say? I fully intend on watching Babylon whenever it comes. Is it? Oh, it's available now on VOD. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say it is apparently available now on VOD. Um. You know, PVOD or whatever they say. I'm waiting for, you know, Hulu to pick it up so I can watch it for free. Um, but yeah. All right. So so 
have we haven't even have we gotten to it, Corey? What you thought of this movie and uh, your thoughts and feelings on it specifically? Or are we still in M Night retrospective mode? I think if I think we should maybe move into spoilers. I feel like everything beyond just that setup of um, you know these four intruders show up at the cabin and mm-hmm. and basically kidnap the family. I, that was kind of the first teaser. I think anything beyond that does kind of get into spoilers so maybe we should demarcate that here well i'll, I'll just we can say, we can oh, I, I, I was gonna say go are ahead you Brian. eating something right now I, i'm just like <laughs> not anymore <laughs> i like how you were about to prevaricate and then you were just like if i swallow it i can say not anymore so what i was gonna say is I, for anyone who's like, but why did you like it? I mean, the directing is incredible, as as it always is. M. Night Shyamalan is great, you know, with the blocking and the spatial and the pacing and the editing. Like, just fantastic. Really, really good there. Dave Bautista in this movie is great. Legitimately, like, I don't think there's, like, an, an off performance in this movie. And this is coming from a guy who fucking cannot stand Jonathan Groff in most things. Um so yeah, I I really I really dug a lot of this movie. I think that in terms of being like a nice, you know, tense thriller with like some stuff on its mind, I think, you know, it's it's hard to do better than this right now. So yeah, I just wanted to say that for anyone who is going to be like, "Ah, spoilers." Yeah. I I was just going to say for spoilers, I think it would be interesting to to kind of do nutshell thoughts and then and then let's just start talking about it because usually we don't do nutshell thoughts with spoilers included right usually so maybe this one kind of breaks that mold a little bit but i think that yeah i think it's going to be difficult to be like my fit like you know it's just it's it's such a it's such a high wire act in terms of what is spoilers or not so but we're all we're all we're all positive on it so yeah. yeah, I think yeah, I think basically what you said in that if if you have enjoyed particularly this recent run of M Night movies, um you should absolutely see this. I think the it overall is a bit of a mixed bag. Um as you said there's a lot of technical skill on display, there's some interesting ideas in there and there's some things that don't work. Um and so I think overall, you know, supporting kind of original interesting films and if you're intrigued by the setup it's absolutely worth seeing for that um but yeah it has issues uh for me i liked it a little better than old um which kind of did not work for me as well in the execution um but uh not as much as split um, i recall on, old on being a rather run. contentious episode for us am i right about that i honestly yes, can't it, remember it was uh we had a guest who you know, I guess you'd say he he was monologuing a little bit. Really though. loved it. <laughs> yeah, and and was having difficulty integrating that other people didn't feel that way about it. You mean other people didn't feel exactly the same way. I didn't hate it. I had issues with it. I just remember um, that it was like I was like nerding out with this guy, being like, "Yeah, this movie fucking rules," and you were like, "But I mean, eh, like, does it totally?" <laughs> right, and then the ending was just so like pathologically dumb that it like <laughs> took it down a notch for me <laughs> pathologically dumb all right well fuck it let's go into spoilers so we're gonna spoil this movie now we're gonna talk about it we're gonna talk about what we liked what we didn't like i have um a couple of of uh talking points not talking points like maybe like discussion topics that i'd love to to rattle around so let's uh let's do it 
Let's start off, however, uh, coming off mostly positive and friendly things having been said uh, with Corey. What's uh, what are some of these things that you were not a fan of in this movie? Um, oh, starting with the negative. Um, yeah, baby. I, think... I mean, it's been we've been talking for like a half an hour. No, we've been talking for 40 minutes. Let's get it. Let's get, okay, some, let's get um... some bad blood going. Yeah, I mostly enjoyed it. I feel like um, the setup is so rich that once they kind of get into it, it slows down a bit as you're kind of waiting for the dominoes to fall. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in terms of um, just kind of overall, I I sort of agree. Either I, I wish it had either been a little more ambiguous since it's sort of so on the nose by the ending with without really much to chew on because it does say everything that it means to say. Uh, or I wish it had been pushed a little more into kind of lurid B-movie zone. Like it, it feels almost a little austere in the way it treats some of the violence in the movie. Like we had to kind of look up after like, was this a PG-13? Like there was a couple F-bombs. I, I mm-hmm. think it is an R, but it feels It is kind his of- second R-rated movie. Yeah. um, And it feels like in a way uh, I can understand why, you know, maybe not lingering on some of the violence as it's depicted in the movie. And it's kind of cut away from in an artful way. But I I, the things that really attracted me to the visit and split were that it did kind of go for it, you know, and there's like the scene i think with the excrement in the visit where you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's going there. And in split. It's like it kills one of the teenagers. It's like it does stuff that makes you feel like, oh, maybe this isn't going to be on the rails. Like this it is kills. not going to be a movie that most people would make. It's it's going to kind of go someplace else. And and it um I don't know. It it, it felt like, yeah, it felt almost a little reserved for me. Interesting. They I thought they killed two of the teenagers in split. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I th- I think you might be right, but but in a way that felt like kind of a shock at the time to me. Yeah. Anyway, it just felt like one of those rules that most movies wouldn't break, and that he was breaking it. You know, uh, felt like kind of an exciting chapter. I d- I, mm-hmm. I can kind of see what you're saying. Like I in coming into this movie and you know uh, you know having memories of funny games dancing in my head, um, like sugar plums. Um, I was a little surprised at how gentle it was. Um, then again, funny games is like not frighteningly gory, but at the same time, this, this movie is gentler than funny games. So if anyone's worried now that I've said that, don't be, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of appreciated that. I feel like it, it allowed me to stay a little more in the, um, like the emotional headspace of the characters, uh, not having to worry each time that someone was about to get, get got that, like. I was going to have to see some guts get pulled out or some eyes gouged or something, you know, like I just, I don't like, I don't know if there's a good way to put this. Like after a long day at the distillery going into the movies, it was nice to not have to endure anything that was too, um, viscerally, literally like crushing. Yeah. I could see that. For me, it's almost like it was, it, it either should have given me a little more to chew on and had a little more ambiguity where the, where it kind of was um, where, where there was a little more subtext on the surface or something, uh, or it should have just leaned into this is a B movie and a great setup. And maybe some of that stuff is there, but really the thrills are going to be so visceral that 
that's not the important thing. Whereas this kind of felt neither here nor there for me, but that's not to say it, you know, was bad just that at the end of it, it felt a little bit underwhelming for that reason. So, so for me, my issue is, is twofold. A, I think the, the two, uh, gay characters at the center of this are a little underbaked. We don't really get to know them, know them. Um, really it's, it's not Jonathan Groff, but the other guy that we kind of actually get to know Jonathan Groff is kind of just a nothing burger in this film. Um, and apparently in the novel, he's a little bit more uh, directly like religious. Like I think he's he's got like a Catholic background or something like that. Maybe he's he's a faltering, you know, uh, former religious person or something along those lines. Um, and so basically you kind of get a little bit of that tonality shift between the two of them. Um, what you know, what could be a wedge that could be driven between them that would maybe make them have to make this choice. Um, But the other thing that I kind of find is that by the time they make this choice, there are literally planes falling out of the sky and like the world is lighting on fire and it's some of that ambiguity of like, is this a decision that it, it's kind of taken away from them? And they're basically like, oh, OK, cool. So in order to prevent the apocalypse, we are going to have to kill one. Like one yeah, of us like, is going to have to die like th- that. That no longer is ambiguous, which I find fine. But the issue is that decision ends up being made in such a quick fashion that I wish they actually had a little bit more, hey, let's have planes fall from the sky around them instead of this guy being like, nah, this is this is this is all pre-recorded bullshit, right? And it's like, okay, well, let's actually have some planes fall from the sky and then have that discussion for another 30 minutes. I think that would be much more interesting. And the way that it kind of leans is that oh it by the time dave batista kills himself then there's planes falling from the sky and then there's like okay plus like we actually do have <laughs> so like huh? i i um i said spo- spoilers i i know i know we're into we it we are 100 but spoilers. uh <laughs> just in case you were still lurking yeah right late. in oh, case yeah. you were like they're i don't not think gonna i gave my opinion on this movie <laughs> what was that I don't think I gave my opinion on this movie yet. <laughs> what did you think of the movie, Robin? Uh, well, not to insert myself, um, <laughs> but I, I, I generally liked it. Um, I, I don't even know where to start now because well, it's so. Uh, like... So, for instance, we're, we seem to be at this point talking about the uh, Andrew and and Eric, the the two people, right. and their kind of interplay. Because, like, what Bill was saying. I actually agree with, I think that, um, the movie could have stood, 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 standard, stood. The movie could have stood Stood. to put a little more. You're a writer, man. I am so exhausted right now. I've, I've recently started working out again and I am not yet at the point where I am getting more energy from it. I am only (laughs) at the point where my body hurts and I'm tired a lot. This is like that two week period of like, you know, get up, do it every day. And then on day 15, suddenly it's all going to click and you're going to be fine. But right now I'm on like day nine. Um, I've been there, man. Yeah, been there. It's not the best. Um, 
But so what was I going to say? I feel like Eric and Andrew, they have a tension between them that is not fully explored by the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I agree with what Bill's saying that like, you know, it becomes a little obvious that like the world is actually ending and they need to fucking do something about it. I think that the way that you could then leverage that still is that Andrew clearly, despite being a human rights lawyer, has very little regard for humanity and is willing to sacrifice literally the entire world so that he doesn't have to be without his husband or their adopted daughter. Um, uh, Which I relate to. I'm okay. very much like let the world burn, See, and I'm, I'm just here opposite. with my husband. I'm here. I'm sitting. I'm sitting in the movie theater, and I'm like, you couldn't. Let make me this... sacrifice myself. Yeah, fucking one hundred percent. I'm sitting oh my there. Like, God, you, you... fucking like Christ thing about you. Yeah, welcome to being Catholic. Like you know, also <laughs> welcome, welcome to being a father. I'm going to save the world so my daughter can live. Like their whole thing isn't like you guys are going to live and it's going to be fine, but everyone's going to be gone. They're talking about the world getting wrecked. Like what the hell yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. post-apocalyptic shitstorm are they going to just let their child have to live alone in? But anyway, so like my whole thing was like I would pr- probably after the first person gets killed and then this the the Cascadia subduction event happens, go like, hey, look at me. Just fucking kill me. Like, it's over. Like, just do that. These, even if these people are crazy, they're going to keep killing themselves, or at some point, they're going to get pissed off and kill us. If I, you if would I sacrifice yourself for some internet freak, because, like, yeah. honestly, as much as, you know, the audience is really knows what's going on. I mean, there's not really, there's, I don't even know if you call it dramatic irony, but, like, you know, something fucked up. Because, just like otherwise, you know, why they're going to be there. But from the perspective of the main characters or the family, I mean, they do sound like a bunch of fucking weirdos. They do. They 100% sound like a bunch of weirdos. It's it's crazy. But again, I probably would have let them kill Redmond. <laughs> why not? But then when I saw that earthquake, then definitely if not the earthquake, then the children. I would have been like, okay, look, let's do it. Like, I just like, I, you know, even if, even, here's the thing. If a group of four people came in and just said, hey, you got to choose which one of you is going to die or else some terrible shit's going to happen. I just immediately would be like, all right, do me. Fucking like, yeah. Oh my God, you're looking for any excuse now, man. Yeah, I really am just suicidal. But like, <laughs> I think, and I think that one of the the best decisions of this, this story, because I mean, this is what it was in the novel, but I think having it be uh, a homosexual couple with two men helps to diffuse a lot of the possible... I don't know, like societal gendered implications of having them make this choice. Cause I feel like, Oh yeah. If man you were versus watching woman. this movie and it was a man and a woman and their child, like there would just be so much ladled on to whoever chose kill to kill the dad. Killed. Like right. immediately. You, you got it. Like, first of all, <laughs> any man who is truly a man would say, do it, kill me. Right. So the movie's over in five minutes. Um, unless you're like the the bad guy from Titanic. Yes, unless you're Cal. Unless you're Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, like, if if through some reason, if the wife was like, look, it's got to be me because you, I don't know, do things or you're like, you know, stronger or whatever. Like, literally anything that she could say that would make her be the one who has to die 
would be ladled with all these gendered expectations. But then also people would be like, oh, great. Another movie where like a Madonna, a woman has to sacrifice herself for her family. Is that what we're saying? But then like if the husband was like, do it, kill me, they'll be like, oh, stoic, toxic masculinity. So like it's quite a coup just from a, a basic narrative standpoint to have it be two men. But also I think I like the... um the extra layer of meaning that it puts on to like how they feel about the world. But I do think not that just we... that, but like feeling targeted. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, um, I, I do think, I, I, I do also, think, but I, I just, what, when Bill's had said, like you get the sense, like there's one scene where they kind of bring up, like there's this picture of Jesus playing soccer with kids, which is a great picture. <laughs> and Andrew says to Eric, like you could pray if you want to. And I'm like, is he religious? Is that what we're being told right now? Like, is that like, I don't, I think it's heavily implied that but he like, either grew up religious so or is parts where is they could have leaned into it more. Right. They could have, right. That, that I think it's, I think it does enough to show that Jonathan Groff's character is a, is porous in terms of faith. And his husband is a An lot more. Atheist. <laughs> Not just that, but you know, he's much more of a survivalist. At, oh yeah, as his instinct, right? And also, like, <laughs> fuck the world. Which, sure, fuck the world. I, I I'm with I'm world, with so I'm with Brian here. I would have been like, all right, it, it, this is an easy decision. Kill me. Um, so th- that's interesting that I align with Brian. Um, well, I mean, I, the, you know. and I also would have been like, kill me, because honestly, I can't live without my husband. It's who else it's almost like your sad. <laughs> no, but seriously, like he's been waiting on me hand and foot for the last two weeks. I can't live without him. So. <laughs> I literally would have starved to death. <laughs> like if I had to sacrifice him, I'd have just been like, okay, but who's gonna like cook for me? <laughs> that would okay. Yes, legitimately, I would love to but, see. But like, this movie I want him to out. live. I want him to have a life with our theoretical child. I'm much more into the idea of sacrificing myself, but we've also sort of like joked, joked about having like a suicide pact because neither of us really wants to be alive without the other person. It's just like a fact. To be fair, after you save the world, you could kill yourself. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. Right. Except they had a kid and that changes the equation. Well, I mean, we've all seen Mm -hmm. the end of the mist, right? No, I've never seen oh, the mist. Never mind. No more talking about the mist. Um Yes, let's focus on this film. Yeah. Um I, I do want to bring up a couple of other things. A, I think yes, it does sidestep the uh, you know, atomic uh family kind of trope of like man, woman, child. Well, Bill, hold on. Will, did you just did you just say the atomic family? Is that not it? That is the cutest thing I've it's, ever heard in my life. It's a nuclear family. Nuclear. Sorry. <laughs> I, like, I like the idea of like two sides of the same coin. Like the nuclear family is like the prim, pristine, <laughs> like 50 style, you know, like singular unit. And the atomic family is just like, fuck. And it's just like, you got grandma. You got like. Grandma's boyfriend, they're not even married, but everybody lives together. You got like step siblings. Like it's just like atomic. <laughs> I, d- I don't I don't know why nuclear and atom- like atomic 
Those are two kinds of bombs, you know. Like, they, yeah, I mean, I mean, both of them, bo- but not both of them moment. are very destructive. So, yeah, uh, okay. Anyways, um, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, this is this is why I don't play cinephile very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so you're bringing up that like the nuclear family is kind of a fraught idea to have at the center of this film. But, you know, based on our discussions of the last film, The Whale, right? Um, also, gay people having to kill, like sacrifice one or the other. That also seems incredibly fraught. Right. With all of this gay or uh, all of these tropes about like gays having to kill each other or die at the end. It's or definitely you know, like barrier gays for sure. I mean, yeah. So, so like that's that's stepping into that's that's stepping into something altogether different, which is like, oh, oh, you side trope is sidestep one trope to immediately like step right into another Legitimately one. Legitimately one of my favorite things about this movie is how like these people have come these four people have come together from across the country right and are ready to mm-hmm. make fucking nutty metal ass weapons and and <laughs> murder one another and like force a family to make a terrible the second that they find out that it's a gay couple they're like they're just like hedging so hard they're like i don't have a prejudice bone in my body I love yeah, yeah. everyone. I am like marched in pride. I bought the rainbow Oreos. I am there's nothing to do, but one of you's got to die, and the rest of you got to do it. Yeah. Um. What was I also gonna say? It was great. Uh, I, I, I love how they humanize the the ostensible villains of this. And when I realized that their like method of uh, I don't even know what you call it coercion was to fucking kill one another. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I thought they were going to be like, look, we're just going to start chopping off feet. Like, you got to start making some hard choices. Um, But instead, they started killing one another. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, this is a twist that I like. Yeah, that that was wicked. You know what? I wish the film had even addressed, which is, and not that I wanted them to do this, because I think actually that Kristen Quee it's probably the best performance in the whole movie outside of Batista, but they never even consider killing their daughter. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, oh, Robin. I mean, that, not that I, I don't want them to do that, but I'm just saying, like, intellectually, it would have been an interesting sort of thing to observe in the film. No, <laughs> like, there's well, no way we could always any... adopt another daughter. <laughs> That would have been. But does it does bring up an interesting? I I didn't read the book, but I did read the Wikipedia page when I got home. The and, same, and, yeah. I did and the where exact the same thing. the book differs from the movie, mm-hmm. um, f- spoilers for the book is that the daughter gets killed, um, and Holy the fuck. couple, yeah, and that the couple sort of has to live with the grief uh, is the ending of the book, which is. You know, a, a quite a substantial change to make for the movie. I think. Um, so that's it, interesting that's to note. Yeah. yeah. So gets, that that was gets, a creative choice. And I I remember I read uh, some article where they were talking to the people who who wrote this movie and and M Night uh, who, along with them because he helped to write it. 
And I can't remember which one of them said it. I almost want to say it was M. Night. He's like, look, the book's very strong. I love it. That's awesome. But also, I'm a slightly more hopeful person. And also, we're trying to make a movie that people are going to want to see. And I was just like, I appreciate the Craven commercialism and like the, but also like the storyteller's impulse of being like, there's a compact going into a movie like this with this cast by me, this director. And it would feel like a violation to murder the the whatever twelve year old well, or however old. I think it's oh, also she was he, seven. She's seven. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think she's eight. Yeah. No, she's a week, and she's a week from turning eight in the movie. Okay. Interesting. So I, I think he's. I think he's also <laughs> doing what auteurs do, which is he's finding what interests him about this story and he's bringing those elements out. So as much as there's definitely, certainly I'm sure, you know, a a commercial element and how much of a bummer do I want this to be? It also feels like it's coming from a somewhat genuine place of it is a movie about him exploring faith and, and wrestling with kind of everything that you guys have been talking about for the last 15 minutes is like channeling some of our modern anxieties, you know, about, um climate change and about pandemics and about isolation and about gun control and about homophobia and bigotry and about you know all these things are kind of swirling around in there and kind of mm-hmm. using these characters as avatars to play out this discussion of you know e- even when you know because i i kind of thought the same thing where it might be you know like a 10 cloverfield lane where the whole movie you don't know you know, is what they're telling you real or not, you have to decide because you don't see outside. But once you start seeing the news reports, once you start seeing it, then that part is, you know, basically empirically, you know, that's evidence, but it's it's what meaning will you ascribe to it? You know what I mean? Did it happen because they said it would? Or was it going to happen? And they're kind of retrofitting meaning onto it. And And I think it is about you know, fanaticism and it's about, you know, the cults and it's about, you know, belief uh, for better and worse and whether, you know, and and I think that those are the things that are really interesting about the movie is that it isn't so cut and dried um, until the end when it becomes a lot more cut and dried. Do you know what I mean? But for for when they're kind of in the midst of it, you know, it it is a thing where you put yourself in the situation and think, well, what what choice would I have here? You know, would I, would I tend to believe it? Would I not, you know, would I do something? Would I try and escape? Um, well, yeah, like so, that's, that's kind of like what I was saying before Robin started mocking me about it is that like, I would just, uh, I would just like one, one catastrophe in be like, look, just kid. Like, no, just they, would just, they would knock on your door and be like, kill me. Yeah, I say that to the uh, the Mormon missionaries who come and knock on my door. Just like, hey, are you here to kill me? Is that what's happening now? <laughs> <clears throat> Let's make this happen, man. I will it. say, but like, you I, know, I think that for me, it would have it would have been more interesting a little bit, and maybe like led into more of these questions if. Like one of them had at some point just been like, "Yeah, let's do it. Like, let's take me out." Like if Eric was like, "Hey, look, I want you and our daughter to live, and you know these people," and like maybe he's like trying to even say like, "I don't believe it," but then like by the third person down, he's like, "I do believe them. This is happening. You have to kill me to save well, that, the world." That's where the, the the premise pays off in that you can't kill yourself for it to work your loved one must do right. it so not only had do you have to believe but you have to convince them 
exactly. uh, to not only go through with it, but believe it enough to go through with it. Right. And so I, I think that's where it, it does get sort of smart because it would be too easy for Groff's character to just, you know, fall on his sword metaphorically right. and or say, like okay, say well, I believe and I'm doing what's best for you guys. Um, but that it has to be, you know, done within the loved ones. Um, right. It is where the tension comes and in. And he for can't sure. just say to Batista, like, hey, just like, do me like while he's sleeping just fucking knock me out shiv me mm-hmm. but like i just feel like for as much as you're saying like you know that that is kind of where the juice is i i feel like the movie avoids that a little bit because and maybe this is like the point of their relationship but andrew seems to be like a very oppressive figure in this relationship like he he like shuts down all conversation he's traumatized for, oh, from the the beating in the bar. Yeah, I mean that's true, but also like, you know, this is a whole different situation, and like maybe you could stand to like have a conversation about it. I don't know. I don't know. It's I'm just, just saying that's why he's so hardened. It's yes, totally coming is... from his survivalist, you know, underpinnings. Yes, but it's still, it's still. I don't know. Like it's. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's like a little abusive, but the way that he kind of steamrolls he over seems Eric. A, yes, is I, a little, I agree. It's it's a lot. I'm not again. I won't say it's abusive. No one come at me. Yeah, but you can't but, judge their relationship based on what's happening during. Well, that's why I'm not calling it abusive. A you crisis. Know, a person right. yells at you once. That's not abuse. If it's a pattern of behavior, then it's a thing. Like clearly, they're fine. But like it is. He's probably the pushy one. He's the say. domineering one. Yeah. 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 And he that really comes through in this. I just wish that there had been like that that Jonathan Groff had like because by the time Groff is even saying, like, I think I saw someone in the mirror, um, he's already like working to cut his binds loose. Like it's it's I I think that the the one thing that might have bumped the movie up from like good to like truly something like a little more special for me would have been if they had allowed mm-hmm. those two characters some time to represent i think the different belief systems or or personalities more that they stage clearly were play to. yeah i can see that yeah, yeah. i mean it, it is as, as, to repeat what you guys are saying i do think it is a slightly undercooked movie a movie that you uh, you basically understand the premise from the trailer and it doesn't actually add a lot of information like beyond the trailer so you know i thought there would be a lot more push pull between the characters and how they and whether they believe this stuff or not i thought there'd be more action and really it just kind of plays out in this very like a happens b happens c happens way that i wish maybe i wish it had been twistier you know, with a with Shyamalan movie, you're supposed to know what you're getting into. So it was so straightforward beyond the first like 10 minutes that I I wish maybe more had happened. But I will say that I'm slightly spoiled because I maybe about two weeks ago, I watched the original uh, 1997 Funny Games, which is directed by Michael Hanukkah which in some ways is a very is a superior version of this kind of movie, a home invasion movie. And that one really shocks you mm-hmm. uh, and goes to places that 
you know, most directors would not go. And I was kind of hoping that Shyamalan would push the concept a little bit farther. So having had recently seen Funny Games, I was less impressed with the execution of this movie. So that's it, because like Funny Games is such a such a different horse animal. A totally different, totally different. <laughs> I mean, not supernatural. Um, well, well, I mean, you know, in terms of the relationships between the captors and the and the captives, very different tone. But in terms of the tension, in terms of the of the closed setting, the action. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are they are in the same family of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I just I I I I don't know. Maybe like I walked in this movie like pretty positive it wasn't going to be like funny games like i i just i feel like i've got a firm enough hand on what Shyamalan is doing he's a this. sentimentalist he is and i love that about him I yeah i love this guy <laughs> michael um, hanukkah is not a sentimentalist, not a sentimentalist. Yeah, and, and, and that's why he's one of my favorite really directors his vibe, you know <laughs> yeah yeah and Shyamalan is an entertainer and hanukkah is a provocateur and i think funny games yeah, is an art yeah. film and this definitely knows it's mainstream entertainment you know mainstream entertainment with some ideas in it with some great filmmaking in it mm-hmm. but at the end of the day still meant for you know a, a wide audience to walk in have a story told to them and and be able to leave um the theater yeah 100 like you can you can go leave this movie go get a go get a meal somewhere you know like it's this movie is not going to end your night for you <laughs> unlike i don't know what was the what was the oh shit i i, I just keep wanting to call it cinephile old, but it's not old what's the, <laughs> what's the one with the the we are wife? old we can't we have no recall a more that's it <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That's literally the only Hanukkah, major Hanukkah, that I have not seen yet. Oh, it's good. Um, But I watched that movie before going to a dance club, and I was miserable (laughs) that whole fucking night. Oh, please, you'd be miserable at a dance club no matter what. uh, No, if I get drunk enough. Also, they were, so there was this thing in D.C. called Fatback, and it was a series of DJs, and they would, like, remix, like, Motown. So, like, it was, like, specifically... The one kind of dance club scene party situation that I like thrived in. And I watched a more before we went out. And I was just like, <laughs> I was not having fun that night. But I could have seen this movie and gone dancing and been fine. Movies affect me that way. Yeah. Like, do I, I often have emotional reactions to movies, but they do not cloud my mood you know for like an extended period well i don't know if you know this about me robin but i'm an empath so um no you're a dead (laughs) man because i will never hear you say those words again (laughs) (laughs) um well no i mean like a few weeks ago or no literally it was friday i'm losing days here so last friday i watched a movie called after love which I'm not even going to get into it. It's it's probably going to be my number one movie of 2023, which I'll have plenty of time to talk about later. But I was sobbing, like, from the start of the movie till the end of the movie. I would, I just had, like, no moisture left in my body because I was just crying. 
And then I had a good cry. And then I moved on with the rest of my day. You know? <laughs> I was like, okay, time for lunch. Like it, it really does not. Meanwhile, it, I watched Manchester I just, by the stick Sea with me. and had like a slow breakdown over the course of four days. Jesus Christ. Dude, you should go back and listen to our episode on Manchester by the Sea. You get Were to you hear, crying? You, no, you get to hear me have like an on-air nervous breakdown though. Wow. Yeah, I, I do think it's fun. a great movie. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Um, I don't know. Anyway. You're just like, you're like, I love art. <laughs> like I do. Not but me. You're, you, yes, you are. You're such an art dude. Like the fact that <laughs> I, you know the Raven by heart, it's I, just like you fucking love beauty. And that's just so, you're so basic, man. Wow. Wow. I don't even uh you know what's funny is that Bill at some point said something that was like pretty much a line from the Raven and I almost interjected to like start saying the Raven and now I can't I don't And all of us would have been like what? Everyone just making the jerk off motion is I made the jerk off motion every single episode. Yes, I don't doubt that. (laughs) I also just do it in my regular life, like all day every day. Because I'm a cynic. I think the world should burn. Yeah, clearly. I love Michael Hanukkah. Oh, you know what it was? It's a good segue. Bill said that he remembered something distinctly, and I I was going to immediately lurch into, ah, distinctly I remember. It was in the bleak December. But then I thought no one would get it. Mm, I would have just said, are you you quoting V from Vendetta for me? Yes, 100%. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that movie fucking blows. Anyway, I, I was a dumb sixteen-year-old, and I still am. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, I would like to get back to this film. So we all would have uh, killed the kid, is what I'm hearing. Everyone would have. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, Bill and I would have killed. Yeah, that's ourselves. terrible. That's well, terrible, uh, Robin. Corey, would you have advocated for your own murder? Oh man, I don't know. I I um I don't know at what point I would have become a believer or if I would have stayed a skeptic to the end. Um I don't know. I'd, I'd have to, I'd I have to be I, there. It's hard in a movie like this cuz it's like I'm I'm pretty sure that the movie's going to pivot and be like, "No, for fucking real, like the world is ending." I actually Well, I will I will say that from from the first teaser, I did take the setup at face value. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I took the setup as this is what's happening and it wasn't until the movie started unfolding that the idea of you exactly. know do, do you believe this? You know, can you believe this? You know, what's happening outside the door, you know, um and and how you react to it. Mm-hmm. Um I think which is interesting, but it is a different um type of movie like i said more in the 10 cloverfield lane you know or can you can you believe something that sounds crazy if you don't witness it for yourself um basically mm-hmm. and um it, it like loses all potential tension because i don't like you just know that it's real so, right right that's, so that's... so the only the only mystery left is to whether whether it's pre-recorded or whether you're ascribing meaning to it or not you know is it you know, is it a re- is it a religious you know apocalypse that is bringing on these different events, or is it just these are things that happen? Do you know what I mean? Did right. did this happen, quote unquote, for a reason, or are these just things that everyone is living through? Because as I said about the 
channeling modern anxieties. I mean, I think this is kind of a great post-COVID movie in that we all went through some shit, you know, in a real way. And, and you know, as, as much as you could play games, you know, in your head about what you would have done had this or that happened in the very early days, I remember thinking like, you know, if I had seen a movie where there was a deadly viral outbreak, I would have thought, no fucking way am I leaving the house to go to the store ever. Are you insane? And you would have yelled at the movie character. And yet there I was at the grocery store doing what had to be done and kind of, you know, I think once you're in it, it feels very different. And, you know, could could people have freaked and <laughs> dropped to their knees and said, I'm out of here? And uh, absolutely. And then the rest of us, you know, found a different found a different way through. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Hey, you know, who else fall plane, uh, saw planes falling out of the sky? You know, everyone on 9-11, everyone that lived through that and turned on the TV and saw that stuff. True. And so I think using that imagery, using the tsunami waves, things like that is... Well, I mean, um, e- even just like if you just like say like, oh, yeah, like there's another COVID variant probably. I don't know. I don't watch the news. Um, but like I'm sure if I turn on the news right now, it would be something about COVID, which would be like, you know, like, and then, you know, you, you'd have Andrew being like, I've heard about this variant. It's fine. Like, it's this has been around. It's not. And then, um, but like in our real world, like we had the uh, the earthquake that happened that killed like over a thousand people. And so like, yeah, if you're tied up with a bunch of people and you turn on CNN, like odds are you're going to get something that to a more primitive uh, era of humanity would have seemed like a sign of the end times. I just think that. Like, we all seem to say, like, walking into this movie, like, well, the world's 100% ending, like, right? Like, that's just what the movie is. And I think that the only way to play on that tension isn't whether it is or isn't, but whether these people are going to be able to convince themselves to stop it. And I mm-hmm. think that that's, like, I you know, not to go back to it again, but I, I think that the movie could have stood to have a, Eric be a little more than a concussed, willing victim. I think he at some point should have started to be trying to advocate specifically to be yes. the sacrifice. Yes. A, a lot sooner. Right. right? Like at the it, end, it, I mean, yeah, it's he was like too passive. That, that scene at the end is like beautiful when he's like, you know, trying to convince Andrew of like everything that's still going to be there once he's gone and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, it's, um, it, it just, I would have appreciated if like he built up to that, you know, or, or like, you know, at some point he could have just been like, look, you know, I'm, I believe what they're saying. They've got me like, I, I want to do it, but you've got to be the one to do it. And Andrew, because he has all the power in that situation, he could be like, fuck no. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he's clearly his concussed husband is not going to kill him. So it's, it's suddenly like you have a, an extra level of pressure. But I think that the movie still like carries itself the whole way through on this premise where Andrew is kind of like forcing them to not talk about it and to continue to be a uh, united front. I think one thing I heard on another podcast, uh, she was kind of criticizing the film on a couple of different fronts. But one of the things that she brought up, which I thought was hilarious, uh, it was on I think it was on pop culture happy hour. I can't remember at this point. How dare you um, ask Bill to remember a detail, Robin? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Damn it. We already went over this. Um, anyways, she was mentioning. Yeah, I guess I, I I'll, I'll look that up here in a second and, and double check and, and actually give a name. But uh, she hilariously mentioned what is stopping this happening 
like in a year again, right? Like what, what is my guarantee that if I make this sacrifice that that's it, right? Like, like, like a blackmailing okay. situation. Well, it's not well, be you. Like, you at least know well, that much <laughs> for sure. But is this whole situation going to happen again in like a year? And then let's say those people decide, ah, eh, fuck it. Let the world burn. Well, I just sacrificed a year ago, my partner to make sure the world did not continue to burn. And now this motherfucker's just going to be like, eh, eh, fuck it. Like everybody can die. Well, like, you know, you know that's like that sucks. Of, isn't that, couldn't you, couldn't you say that that's like, I don't know, some sort of like the Faustian bargain we go into as a society. Like you're, you're like, I promise not to kill people to get what I want, but I'm also hoping that no one else is going to kill me to get what I have. Like that's, that's the job. Like that's what we're doing here. And so, yeah, you I've, I've never that. really lived my life thinking like that. Brian. <laughs> oh, I think about it all the time. Like the only thing that's Jesus. Us from, well, I mean, the, the comforts of our modern society keep us fairly placid. But like, you know, on a very base level. Tell that I, to the bodies in Bill's basement. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, like, serial killers have proven that on a very base level, if my neighbor wanted to murder me, he 100% could. If someone oh, wanted to yeah. kill me to take my wallet, they t they totally could. But most of what's keeping that from happening is a universal sense of yeah, it's a, it's a social contract, absolutely. Yeah. And and and, so, yeah. it's, and it's and it's how do you respond to a world in which there is you know, the, these kinds of horrors in our daily lives and you can look out and witness them for yourself. And do you, you know, do you grow cold? Do you turn away? Do you isolate yourself? Do you continue to find some kind of, you know, redeeming element in humanity? Do you, you know, it, I think the movie is about these things. I, I, I agree that it, that it isn't quite as explicit as if it were a play, but I, I do think those things are there and the, the ideas are there. Mm. Um, in an interesting way, although, you know, as I believe Robin said, is it it's sort of once the setup is there, there is about an hour of the movie where you're just kind of watching the dominoes fall without adding a whole lot of new dramatic wrinkles until the third act. And so that was kind of um, uh, a little bit of the issue. But but in in the other sense is is there isn't really um it isn't an M night movie where the wheels fall off at the end or something. That's all building up to some grand, you know, finale that then totally lets the air out of the balloon. I think it's a pretty, you know, solid all the way through. It hums along. It's interesting enough. It's, it's, you know, well shot, interestingly framed. The Batista performance is very good. It jumps um, right in. It, it, yeah, it, it, and it gets into it. Absolutely. Like, it, the movie opens with a girl catching a grasshopper, and then, like, two minutes later, Dave Batista shows up, all wrinkled skull and tattoos, and he's just like, <laughs> guess what? The next hour and 40 minutes is going to be pretty rough when... And it's like, oh, we're, like, really in it. Like, and I, I, I loved that about it. I liked that it it went there. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know if I know how to describe that. Because, like, I, I will appreciate a movie that that um you know takes its time to get started but if you are the kind of craftsman of narrative that i think m night Shyamalan is 
then you can get away with being like, and we're here. It's it's all right. Right. And, and right. he's 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 famous for making hundred minute movies. Yeah. Like like very famous for this at this point because like I, I was looking back at some of his filmography. This one's a hundred. I think Signs is a hundred and four. Like the village is right around a hundred. Like he's he's just like, nah, fuck this. Like like th- this is why M Knight is my guy. Like under <laughs> under two hours, fuck yeah. I will I will sign up for your movie any day of the week. <laughs> All right, now I got it. I'm looking up some of these movies now. I'm going to see if... Oh, see, A Lady in the Water was uh, 111 minutes. Or 110 minutes. So there's your problem. It's He went too long. He did that in 10 minutes. <laughs> he, he, he got ahead of himself. Yep. I'm looking up this podcast. Corey, you were going to say something? I'm sorry. Um, I totally spaced on whatever it was going to be. But I uh, will say, can yeah. I, I add one other... Um, visual nitpick which is the um cgi fire at the end of the movie is pretty pretty not yeah. great you oh, know yeah, for for a guy who is so careful about his framing and filmmaking and the craft of it 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 felt like that's where the seams of the budget are really showing and it just feels like either you know build a miniature or really <laughs> burn it down or maybe don't you know include <laughs> those things that you can't quite pull Spend off the extra because, um, 200 thousand dollars and just burn it down <laughs> yeah it, it kind of it did make what had uh been sort of a very controlled and stylish movie feel a little bit shoddy you know towards the finish line which was kind of a kind of a unforced error i am um, i'm a, i i still don't know how to use this new box office mojo <laughs> i like i went on boxes mojo because i was like i wonder how much this movie made which apparently it's already made 15 million dollars um which is still a low opening weekend for him. Yeah, it is. Um, but it knocked Avatar 2 off its perch. Yay. But I can't... It's not showing me what the budget was. I imagine this wasn't budgeted a lot more than like 10 or 20, right? The set it's must have 20. been tiny. 20 on Wikipedia. All right. Which, you know, like like you can, you can take that at face value, but also nobody in any circle actually knows what these fucking things cost anyways so all all of that is fraught (laughs) because they're not going to tell you because they're not going to they're not going to open themselves up to tax evasion (laughs) (laughs) bill's really showing us his like oh no i i know enough about this shit it's I mean, th- this is this is why there's a lot of lawsuits against like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Oh yeah, because they like, like still have never turned a profit. Quote yeah, and it's like it's like okay, oh 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 okay, yeah, uh huh, yeah, sure. You know, it's like, well, uh, can you tell us what our our budget was? It's like, no, I can't actually tell you what the budget of your fucking movie is because you don't you don't put that out publicly with any kind of like sense of you know actual thing anyways uh old, i found out opened the name to almost a similar amount old opened to in the summer to 16 million and it ended up making 48 here and 41 internationally for like 90 worldwide which like on its again probably 20 ish million dollar budget not bad well, it, it, apparently and that was also like, kind of pandemic release too. So it was, yeah, that was, um, it was. yeah, that was yeah. like the second or third movie I saw in theaters after things finally started coming back. My first yeah, was yeah, Quiet Place so. Two, which was awesome. Well, I wanted to talk about 
how we feel about the performances in this movie. Yes, uh, let's talk about Dave Bautista. Dave Bautista is incredible. Like, I think he's very good. A uh, very warm presence. It's the it is. I think it. You know, like I he, he hearing him in this, he's like, I teach second grade or whatever, and I'm like the basketball coach, and I was like, you know. I I could see that. Like, unlike when Arnold Schwarzenegger or like Dwayne the Rock Johnson says something like that, where I'm like, okay, we're just gonna agree. Kindergarten cop. That. You know, sure. Well, why te- not? Technically, in that he's going undercover, so it, it, he does have plausibility <laughs> that in that point. one. But yes. But like, you know, like Dave Batista, I look at him, I'm like, you yeah, know, he is the right kind of like, you know, beefy, you know, like, and he's got just like his aspect is such that I was like, no, I believe that. So like when, when they showed the picture of him with his team, I don't know. He's just got, he's got such a great presence. He's got such like an affable face. I remember like seeing him in Blade Runner 2049 and like his, his, like putting the glasses on and Mm -hmm. everything. And just like, yeah, he like seems so gentle and you forget that like he's got a hundred pounds on everyone else on screen put together. Mm-hmm. he's just like he's really great like i uh, this guy this guy is awesome i love him M Knight actually mentioned that it was blade runner that specifically he was just like who is this guy i like this God guy right. and so yeah like and yeah and and that is a very short sequence that really makes an impact in that film and i think the other thing that you know obviously if you if you've seen that film spoilers for that opening sequence a you you should definitely watch that movie but b that opening sequence has now kind of become legendary because that's when you kind of realize like the the twist of that film mm-hmm. when you see like gosling actually like fight back against this behemoth and you're like oh there's wait What's Gosling going on here? Slam through a wall and it's fine. And you're like, oh, he's a Blade Runner. Yeah, and you're like, oh, okay, he, I got it now. All right. Oh, um, it, yes, and so that that is a nice little twist there. But I think w- one of the things that I really like about him is that he has to deliver a lot of monologuing in this film and he does it really well and he does it with this just kind of like nervous attitude of like i'm used to and i i love that sequence where he talks about i I believe it's in this film if i'm not mistaken he says something (laughs) along the lines of when when you're teaching third graders i think it's third graders right um anyways little kids when you're teaching little kids you have to be careful because they believe anything and everything you say and so you have to make sure you're like very you have to make sure you're telling them the truth i think is what he said but but not even just the truth but telling them things that you actually know like you can't just be like oh yeah i've heard blank because they will just fucking believe that right and i think what's so interesting is that he's dealing with you know ostensibly the parents of kids in this in this regard and trying to convince them and he's just like this is tiring like you can tell like he's just like oh (laughs) fuck andrew is tough like he is not going to give in to this at all and so says like i'd sacrifice the entire world like seven times over and i was just like Mm -hmm. i don't know like 
<laughs> you, heard, you heard your partner say that. This is an honest question to everyone on this podcast. Would you agree with that? Like, would you be cool with that? I feel like I'd be a little... I don't know if I'd be all right with that. Like, if my... If I would my... have been like, like, you are the man that I married for a reason. But I don't, <laughs> I don't think I would marry someone who would ever, like, sacrifice the world seven times over just to be with me. I feel like... I, th- I think that, com- oh, I that totally comes would. from the... I think it comes from the trauma of the attack in his past and, and basically, you know, getting your back up with a fuck the world a little bit. And, and mm-hmm. we're going to make our own world. Our family unit is the thing that I care about. And I'm going to do everything I can to protect us from whatever outside forces, you know, may come to try to harm us. And so it takes a long time in the movie to, you know, break down that, um, you know, kind of protective layer that he's put up. Um, also, I, I, I do want to say, I do want to say that Brian, you were, it sounded like you were a little mystified by why he would be so like antagonistic against the world, considering he is a human rights lawyer. And I think that would be exactly why he's no, antagonistic against the if, world. If he, if he said like a former human rights lawyer, I'd be like, Oh, I get it. Yeah. You burned out. Like, but like, you're you're telling me that in your professional life you're still fighting the good fight. It felt really weird actually for him to be the one who was antagonistic about the world because as a human rights lawyer, he is literally fighting to protect people, but in this moment, it's almost like he's betraying what should be an essential part of his character, which is interesting. You know, it's almost like sure, like when you're at the world stage in the Hague or whatever, you're you're a highfalutin and talking about protecting the weakest among us from the more powerful. But when it comes time to like put your money where your mouth is, you're willing to sacrifice seven billion people just so you can have the the guy that you you're in love with. Well, it's also that he he may have started out more idealistically when he chose that as his career path, and then he gets knocked off of his worldview. When, you know, the, the attack happens yeah, and it, it, cha- it changes his outlook and hardens him. And, and that is, you know, what happens to people. And and I think, um, you know, not to ascribe too much meaning to a movie that I think <laughs> does still just aim to be entertainment. But I do think it there there are interesting ideas there and and things that it's chewing on that that felt um, resonant and um just more more than you would expect from you know February schlock you know M yeah, Night absolutely. certainly you know can can entertain and can thrill and can also you know put put in some of that stuff as like well. early year stuff I'm used to being like the commuter where you're like this is dumb but like it's it's like the action's good you know it's 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 right kind of M- mindless it be. yeah yeah and this one is like oh there's actually like some meat on this goddamn bone like we can we can actually dig into this a little bit which is nice like you know for And for it's the it's not just the attack I think the fact of him being a human rights lawyer is what makes him so cynical cuz there's Yeah that's lies. that's what I'm saying. Right. And yeah. I'm yeah. saying I think that I I just think that it's it's interesting that I I mean I think this lays into kind of everyone's statement that we wish we knew a little more about them or they had gotten fleshed out just a little bit like i think that like it would i think that like being able to see a little more of that and like what his his um uh path or process was to getting to this point could have been a little more interesting Mm -hmm. because like it it, it just i don't know like what is jonathan 
Groff's character, Eric. What's what's Eric's job? Is Eric a? I don't think I have no know. idea. I can't, I can't remember. You know, like it. it I like I said, he's he's was. just a nothing burger. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really is, is. Just there to be concussed and to look confused and then to convince Andrew to kill. Yeah, him. and and I think Wen is actually a much more developed character, and I yep. think it's a much more developed performance. Oh I think God. Kristen Quee is great in this movie. I mean, like M. she's Night so compelling. A kid, man. I mean, she's, I should also like, she's give. She's going to be on my short list for you know young performances by the end of the year. Oh my God! The, also, probably the youngest she's performance. Compelling. Yeah. yeah. She was great. Um, yeah, her whole. Well, what's Wen's fucking job? I mean, come on. Learning. Second grade. <laughs> also catching grasshoppers, Ooh. and she's fucking fantastic at it. No, I, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I did think she was uh, she was very good. No, and that was, was just an interesting metaphor. Like, let's get let's you know get all of these people in one space to observe them. Yeah, like I am um, a little on the nose, but no, yeah. Oh my it. god! But the second I saw that, I was like, oh man! If I found that this is like space aliens or something doing, I was same. waiting for it to be like yeah something. I like got that. to pull a robin. I was waiting for the alien. Thank you. I mean, it, I, it it could have been like a psychological, you know, oh my god, like a study. There's so many things it could have been like could have been a Saint Elsewhere type of twist where it's like, oh, they're all in the snow globe. Like, oh, that's just- Krampus. <laughs> oh no, we're not getting back into that. Uh, well, sure, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, there it could have, it could have. Punched you a little, cracked the glass a little, and it was just mm-hmm. so straightforward. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 I thought the fact that they're kind of revealed to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and you know, clearly, Spoilers. like, yeah, uh, well, clearly, mean- when when Groff mentions that, right, and you're like, oh, and and then he he starts talking about like. I think he mentions uh, like something out of the Bible and you're like, oh, he he knows a lot more about religion than you kind of, you know, again, this kind of goes back to it's too late. Right. For him to start revealing this, these wrinkles about himself. You're like, okay, well, uh, I mean, I guess, but. Like, where was this wrinkle, uh, you know, an hour ago? Well, first of all. I just want to say, they're not the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are like war, famine, plague, and then I think that death is the final one. Okay. So, I mean, if you be if you want to be honest about it, they're they're more like four like cardinal directions of the human soul or whatever, which is still a good symbolism. I like it, and I think that like Jonathan Groff delivers those lines well. I don't know, I. Groff as a performer has never been my thing. I I I didn't really like him in Mindhunter, and I generally like Mindhunter. But like I go into that show for Holt McElhaney, not Jonathan Groff, and I actually kind of got annoyed every time he was on the screen after a certain point. Um, I I, I like him in Mindhunter. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Hamilton, but he was um he was pretty good in that. Too. I have not seen it. I have listened. The only to character it. I liked in Hamilton. <laughs> Wow, yeah. the white guy. <laughs> no, because you know <laughs> King George is hilarious, and everybody else is just like, 
What about Hercules? I don't know. <laughs> wow. Robin. At least that song was funny. I mean, everything else is so self-serious. In that yeah, show. he's got two funny songs in that. Right? He comes back. He has like a reprise. He does. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I was about to say, yeah. can someone please agree with me? Even if it's not true. Um, you know, I liked I liked him in that. I mean, uh, you know, I only ever heard Hamilton. I never watched it. Even when it kind when it by the time it finally came on to Disney, I was like fucking over it. It's like uh, it's like Phantom of the Opera now. It's like yes, yes, I'm sure it's still good, but I will never watch it again. Um, well, played out, but like you know, who knows? Agree to, agree to disagree. Hot Hamilton takes coming in 2023 <laughs> film stage show. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I seen the show. I've seen the show. I saw the movie, quote unquote. Uh, maybe I'm missing a chip. It just does nothing for me. Man, Robin is is coming in hot with a broken jaw and broken opinions. <laughs> she came at the king and she didn't miss. Yeah. So. <laughs> Neither did Andrew. Pop. Anyway, um, also if I don't know if you're if you're bringing a gun on a vacation with you, maybe bring it into your Airbnb. Don't leave it out in the car. Yeah, like what the fuck? Well, he did seem kind of like ah shit. <laughs> Yeah, how long so, have they been there? Like they they It seemed it seems like they just arrived because I, he actually, was yeah, he was sitting in, their, in his in his rope. gown. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, yeah, that's what I assumed, okay. right? You put that together afterwards. Um what what was the other thing that I was going to say that you kind of like put together a little bit afterwards? Um there was something else that I was just like, "Oh, oh, 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 oh I got when that." Had a, uh, what do they call it? Like clef clef palette? Is that right? Back mm -hmm. Something um, like that. Yeah, no, Wen was great in this movie. I loved her whole little thing where, like, um, <laughs> when Dave Batiste asks her if it bothers her that she doesn't see a lot of, like, two dads in uh, in the world at large. And she's like, no, no one really even mentions it, except for my teacher who says she's, like, happy about it, which makes me think she's not. Mm -hmm. I was like, this kid immediately is just like delivering fire, and I was fucking on board for it. When she has her little thing where she's talking to the grasshopper about how it shouldn't fart because all the other grasshoppers won't like it, I was like, this is incredible. The fact that she's close to my daughter's age also probably had something to do with that, which is also another reason where I was like, one of these guys better just say immediately that they're willing to die because otherwise, what are we doing here? I think. I was kind of expecting that the movie based on the trailer would have more of a the tension between the three of them. Not not in believing or not believing, but choosing who would go. Like I thought it would it would kind of turn on each other or something. <laughs> I didn't see that. I like I don't know why. I just immediately was like Groff is going down. <laughs> I like I knew it. There was I was just like there was something about the the exactly. The, it's the their dynamic. It's his softness. Yeah. It was his uh, openness to the whole situation. Like that's what I mean. It's like you just you. It was so telegraphed from the beginning. Yeah, which is why I think that you could have at least had him have to like struggle for a little longer to do it, and that maybe would have uh, wrestled some of the uh, misgivings that had been had been mentioned previously in this podcast. But it is, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's weird because you know, uh, almost like what I was saying with if it was a husband and a wife, you'd like need the husband to die. Like I would expect that of the husband. Um, totally. Whereas in this, if you wanted to be a little more 
I don't know, stereotypical about things, you would say that the the like less aggressive one of them ended up being the sacrifice, which would usually be the role that you'd expect to be fulfilled by the wife. Um, so I don't know. I think that's another interesting little twist that we see here where it's like having to having to bring the person with the more aggressive protective nature and not, you know, have him be like, you know, self-sacrificing as a means of protection, but rather, you know, get him to make the sacrifice as the means of protection. Well, it's a it's a strength that comes from an internal faith as opposed to strength that comes from outward physical, you know, pr- protection. Right. Like um, as long as you believe that you have the ability to overwhelm with brute strength whatever is coming after you, you're not going to be willing to give up something that you love. And he's, it takes him a while to get to that. Also, I'm I'm on IMDb right now. I was looking up something. And um, they're playing, I guess, a trailer for this movie. And it's like all third act stuff. So, Robin, you were right. This trailer Thank is, you! Like, there's literally, uh, like, Andrew crawling into the treehouse and hugging Wen. And I'm like, that's the literal end of the movie, guys. I'm I'm so glad that I have such like goldfish brain because like I uh, like <laughs> I didn't even like I I just won't remember sequences like that for whatever reason. So also, one- I've I've learned I've learned from these fucking trailer companies like try not to retain that information because if you start being like, well, I remember this sequence. When does this sequence happen? And you're like half, you know, more than three quarters of yeah, the way in. Yeah, there was in. like a whole lawsuit that just happened about this. Uh, where oh, a yeah. fan, a fan sued, uh, I forget what company it was, because he expected Fashion Ana de Armas. Armas wasn't no. in, no, or, Ana yeah, de Armas yeah, wasn't yeah. in yesterday, right? Wasn't yes, that exactly. She, mm-hmm. she was in the trailer. But then she got cut from the movie. Yep. Which yep, is yep, fine yep. by me. Of course. It is. <laughs> okay. All right, let's wrap it up. <laughs> I mean, I'm down. I, I feel like we've we've talked about a lot. We've beaten the movies runtime, which is what we always strive to do here. Um, so that's it. Uh, let's let's give our guests. The final word. Corey Everett, is there anything you'd like to say about Knock at the Cabin or like the world in general before we wrap it up? Um, yeah. Uh let's hear it for high concept, low budget movies where the filmmaker is the reason to see it. And I feel like that's an increasingly rare thing these days. And I love that he's found this lane. Um to make these movies where just from that first teaser you go, I, I'm so in mm-hmm. that concept alone. Um, and then, you know, it, it for whatever faults they have, you know, it's always interesting. And he he is someone with a real filmmaking voice. And so I like I like that he's in this lane um, and hope he keeps making these. Yeah, I, I was glad to see on Twitter that there were a lot of people like celebrating like in, in old, like some of his like audacious camera movements. I th- I know that like, the one I saw in particular was like this, you know, scene involves like a, you know, the camera moving in a circle to illustrate how one character has gone deaf with sound design. And and I'm glad that people, you know, even if maybe they don't like the movie, can still appreciate and, and recognize the uh, artistry he's bringing to it. Yeah, it's one of those things where he hasn't fundamentally changed that much in the last nearly 25 years as a filmmaker. It's that the audience kind of 
came in strong, loved what he did, got completely sick of what he did. And he just kept, you know, trucking along long enough that everybody came back around. You know what I mean? And that, and now people who were totally checked out on that middle period are in his corner again. And so I think that's, you know, that took a lot of guts and um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's still out there. And um, I'm, I'm know, glad he kind of got, got through the rough patch. Yeah. Come out of the wilderness. His, his, his story is is incredible so we are happy that he is back we're happy he's still making movies we're happy that we uh saw this movie that is it for today uh ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening don't forget to go on twitter.com slash the film stage show facebook slash the film stage show uh and uh don't forget to email us pockets filmstage.com comments ratings patreon.com slash the film stage show for all of that stuff um that's it so let's tell the fine people at home, where we can be found between now and the next time that we uh, shout our opinions into their ears. Let's begin with our guest, Corey Everett. Where should people go online to find you and your work? Um, yeah, you can um, find the stuff that we're doing at Cinephile Game and at Lil Cinephile, L-I-L Cinephile. Um, and definitely, if you're around, uh, come out and say hi uh, uh, at the end of the month at the Brooklyn Alamo. Uh, when we do our Cinefile game night, because that will definitely be a lot of fun. Nice. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but I don't really tweet much. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram, where I post photos of my latest uh, cooks and things like that, uh, and always mixing like a, it up. It makes you sound like a meth guy. This <laughs> <laughs> looks good, I have to say. Thank you. You also occasionally um, comment on my distillery where we've created a forge to melt metal. Yes, that is awesome. <laughs> um, that was that was a good video. And I could distinctly hear Brian laughing in the background. And I was like, OK, this is great. Um, so shout out to y'all for doing that. That was good. Good, good content. Yeah, good, good, good social content. media content. I hope it's on the TikToks. Um, and it's then you can always find me mixing it up on the Slack channel where I recommended uh, Robin sell her PS4 and get a switch instead, <laughs> even if it won't be able to play the newest Harry Potter game until like live or whenever the fuck that thing gets like remastered for it i gotta make some decisions <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why that was so funny to me. just wrong me like i gotta make some decisions <laughs> that was great. i like that anyway robin Barr, what about yourself uh you can find me on twitter at r-o-b-y-n-b-a-h-r uh, okay. Is it is it a mouth thing that you're saying be like that, or are you just worried people are going to hear the wrong thing? I'm worried they're going to hear the wrong thing. I'm having trouble uh, getting my lips together because my bottom lip is completely numb. Uh, if you're a first time listener, this is not normally how I sound. Please <laughs> don't let it turn you off. I do not normally have a Long Island accent. It's just coming out. Um. <laughs> What else is going on? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can sometimes find my writing at uh, The Hollywood Reporter and I'm on Letterboxd. Um, also, you know, you just search by my name. All right. As for myself, <clears throat> you can find me on all the social media sites to which I subscribe at Brian J. Rowan. Um, you can find my personal site, brianjrowan.com. I redesigned it, but I've added nothing new in terms of content. So that's fun for people. Um, 
If you'd like to learn more about the whiskey that I am producing, go to inkwellwhiskey.com. My distillery is at Schmidt Spirits on all social media. If you want to see us melting some aluminum cans, we are also on TikTok. It's true. I'm finally making TikToks after two years of talking about TikToks. Um, so that's, uh, I think that's it. Oh, right. And don't forget to go to thefilmstage.com to see every episode of this here podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. Another world.